Welcome to episode 109 of the Untethered Podcast. Today we have Lynette Beard and Lindsay Nutson-Smith joining us. Lynette is a registered nurse and international board certified lactation consultant. She's been a nurse for 13 years and an IBCLC for nine. She's worked part-time as a nursing instructor at a local college where she teaches first and third year nursing students. She started her own private practice, Lynette Beard Breastfeeding Support Service in 2016, where she provides home visits for breastfeeding families. She became interested in tongue ties when she had her third child and realized the day after he was born that he had a tongue tie. She became specialized in tongue ties so she could effectively help families go through their own tongue tie journeys with their babies. Lindsay is a speech-language pathologist and is currently working towards her IOM certification in orofacial myology. With 10 years in the public education setting, she finally made the leap to opening a private practice that specializes in treating patients of all ages with concerns around speech-language feeding, OMDs, and tongue tie. Spot Speech Pathology and Orofacial Myofunctional Therapy proudly serves Winnipeg and surrounding communities in Manitoba, Canada. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Vulcan. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Lindsay and Lynette, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to chat with both of you. Thank you so much for having us. Hey! Absolutely. So let's talk about how you guys met each other. Well, it's kind of a funny story, actually. Um, It was on a Facebook group. Um, Of course, one of the tongue tie babies, something like that. And um, I had posted a a stack of books, actually, that I was reading. Um, Of course, all tongue tie related, because that was the phase of life that I happened to be in at that current point in time. Um, and Lynette commented on my stack of books and said, you look like, or sound like an SLP that I need to meet. Um, so then we kind of started messaging each other back and forth from there, uh, and then ended up meeting for coffee and struck up a relationship slash friendship that has grown. Let me tell you in the past three years, Lynette, I think. Yeah. Um, Two-ish. and yeah, That's yeah, amazing. I guess. Two, two and a half, three, something like that. And so now you guys work together frequently. Is that? Yes. Well, we're, we are working more and more together, um, you know, as clients allow mm-hmm. and even just like bouncing ideas off of each other, problem solving with one another. Like that's kind of our relationship. Right we now. talk together almost every day, collaborating, talking about the, the situations that we find ourselves in with clients and like, what do you think of this? Or just commiserating with mm-hmm. frustrations that we have. Yes. Or nerding out. We like to nerd out together too, like sending each other research articles or um, like, oh, did you hear? Like, I heard this really cool random fact. Check it out. Um, it. Yeah. So we're, we're very cool people. Very cool. <laughs> Obviously. I love it. I love it. Well, and I know that they will have just heard, you know, the the intro with your bio and everything, but just so everybody knows, because we're kind of, you know, talking about how you two really work as a team, who, like, who are you? What, like, what are your primary roles in your day to day? Just so they know real quick. 
Um, I am a speech language pathologist. Uh, I work in the schools and then I also have a private practice where I focus on my um, SLP, but myofunctional therapy as well. So working a lot with kiddos with tongue tie as well as other, other related as we are all aware. Oh yes. Yeah, and I am a registered nurse and at IBCLC, um, and I specialize in tongue ties, so that's kind of the biggest population that I see. Um, also, they're just the ones that have so many breastfeeding issues, and so I just see it everywhere. Um, yes. And I have my own uh, private practice as well, which I started about five years ago, and it has grown quite a bit in the past two years. And um, I guess since I met Lindsay, um, it has really grown and I've really niched down like you like to talk about Hallie um, and uh, into tongue ties, which has been an amazing experience in itself. Yeah. And that that's amazing. And that's fantastic. So let's go there. So now you guys both work with tots. How did you come to falling into that space, you know, both of you, is that just something it just kind of fell into your lap one day? Cause you noticed that your patients all had these issues or is there like a story behind this? <laughs> well, it's really interesting because Lindsay and I live parallel lives actually. And I, that's part of why we get along so well and have, have grown together. So for my story, I, um, I had my third child, uh, three, almost four years ago. And, when he was born, I noticed that breastfeeding really hurt. And I had breastfed my other two children and I knew that breastfeeding, what it felt like. And I, I knew that this was wrong. And, but I didn't know what it was until the second day. Um, I thought, oh, could that be what I hear about a tongue tie? And so I kind of looked in his little mouth and there was a frenulum, but I didn't know. And I called in the IBCLC at the hospital. She was a friend of mine and she looked and she was like, yeah, maybe, I don't know either. You know, we were both just sort of um, typical IBCLCs who know a little bit about tongue ties, but maybe not a whole lot. Um, and so I just dove headfirst into learning about tongue ties, discovered more about it, got his tongue tie released when he was two weeks old. Um, and worked with a dentist and uh, she referred body work. So I went to a chiropractor and that chiropractor, at first I was a little bit like, I don't think this is helping, but three weeks after the release, wow, what a difference. My baby was a different baby. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately his tongue tie has reattached. He's got issues. I'm going to be getting him to re-release it you know, in a year or two. Um, and I'm going to be working with Lindsay uh, with her uh, OMT skills um, to help him so that he can do the best he can. Um, but that sort of triggered me to learn more about tongue ties. And then I took Autumn Reed Henning's course down in Minnesota. Um, and we became good friends actually, because we were, we became pumping buddies <laughs> down there. She was still pumping with her baby too. And so we both had to do the same thing. We got to know each other a little bit. 
Um, and her course was great. It changed my life. It really did. It changed my practice. I think that every once in a while we have an experience where we learn something that changes the foundation of our practice and we completely revolutionize everything we do. And her course did that for me. Mm -hmm. I left her course telling her, Autumn, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going back to Winnipeg. Nobody knows about tongue ties there. And she said to me, Lynette, you're going to make waves go. And I came up and that's when I started going on Facebook, finding, trying to find other people. And that's after that was when I met Lindsay. I love it. I love Mm -hmm. that story. And you guys know Autumn is a dear friend of mine. And so- And I took her course. I didn't know her before I took her course either. And I took her course. And I remember just sitting there going like, she is brilliant. Like she is just so, I mean, and how she put it all together and how in depth she went on different things. And I know, you know, I know she's revamped her course a bit over time too, but she puts everything in very easy to understand, you know, methodologies and teachings and in ways that um, were very eye-opening for me as well. And I remember taking it and just being like, yes, yes, yes to all of this. Like, yes, let's go. And thankfully, you know, I was in an area here where people did know about tongue tie. It's not, it's not widely known, but there are some people here who are, you know, like IBCLCs, SLPs, OTs, probably arguably more the SLPs than IBCLCs. Um, and then there's some dentists too. So we're very, you know, and some ENTs that release, but they're not the best. So just, um, anywho, <laughs> really the oral surgeons and the dentists are the ones you go to here. Um, but anyways, you know, so I think I was very grateful and sometimes I lose sight of that because it was easy for me to integrate into that space and attach to certain professionals who already had some of that knowledge or, you know, my dentist and I have gone to continuing ed uh, courses together to learn more about, you know, the Mayo airway taught stuff together, even beyond that. And actually she took that course with me. I told her autumn was coming and I was like, come on. And so she sat next to me in that course, which was fun. Um, We've actually gone to a number of courses now and yeah, it's, but when you have that and when you have somebody like what you guys have here, like a team member who you can do this with and you can nerd out with this stuff on like my dentist and I like text and like email and do calls and stuff like real quick to chat about cases and things. And it's like, how nice it is to have that ability to consult on cases and you know, check things like, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. What do you think? Or this is what my thoughts were. And like, yep, me too. Okay, great. You know, it's like, it's just so sometimes it's validation that you're like, okay, like we're on the right track, but also sometimes they see things through a different lens than, than I do. And that's also been very eye opening for me as well. And so it's just, it's so powerful to have what you guys have. And I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, so like Lindsay for you, how did you fall into the tots realm? (laughs) Well, like Lynette said, we lead very parallel lives. It's a little cut. It's a little bit freaky, actually. Um, so my, same story, basically. My third baby. Um, there's a printer beside me. No worries. <laughs> um, my third baby was born with a posterior tongue tie, which is ever controversial. Mm. Um, but like Lynette said, having nursed two babies prior, I was like, okay, I know that something is not right here. Couldn't pinpoint it tried to check myself. I'm like, but she doesn't have a tongue tie. Like it wasn't the anterior that you learn about in grad school. Um, I couldn't see a friend. I'm under her tongue at all. And of course I wasn't doing the proper lift because I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. right. Um, 
but she had like painful latch, took a super long time to nurse, milk spreading out the side. She was super gassy, projectile puke all the time, like all the symptoms. And I was like, I, I, I legitimately thought I was going crazy. Um, took her to pediatrician. Nope. No tongue tie. Another pediatrician. Nope. No tongue tie. IBCLC. Actually, no, I don't think it was an IBCLC. I think it might've been just a lactation nurse. I don't actually know credentials though. Um, but I had three or four people say like, nope, she doesn't have a tongue tie before. Finally, I was like, okay, well, something is going on. So of course you consult Google. And I did all the research. I legit printed off like stacks of research. And I was like, okay, like I am armed. I am ready. I am going. So I self-referred to a pediatric dentist. Um, and she released her lip tie right away, which was part of the problem. Um, but then of course the recommended body work, et cetera, which is also really difficult. Like it's hard to get into. There are very few providers who are infant trained here. Um, and this particular release provider wouldn't do the tongue tie release until proper body work had been done, which I mean, I now know that that was proper protocol. Um, but she said to me, knowing that I was an SLP, cause that was discussed at our, you know, little intake or whatever. She said, do you do myofunctional therapy? And I was like, no. Do I do what? <laughs> yeah, I, I had no idea. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. so from then on, I was like, myofunctional therapy, I need to know what this is. And dove head first. And here you are. Here I am. <laughs> you know, what's so funny about that is I was on an SLP listserv for private practice owners. And I saw these people who are very active with these COMs after their name. And I was like, Calm communication. SLPs do communication. Like, what is this? Like, what does this thing mean? And that's actually how I found Maya was because of their credentials after their name. Now, you've also heard me say, like, you know, it's all alphabet soup. It doesn't define you and all that fun stuff. So don't get me wrong. We're not going down that rabbit hole. Um, but <laughs> but I went and I took my intro course. And yeah, I mean, I know we all can say, like, when you get into the TOTS world or the Maya world, the whole like airway topic it's like you're forever changed. And you start like thinking back to like, oh my gosh, all of these other cases, like, whoa, what about that one? I wish I could go back and like redo that and see this kid and see how this kid's doing. And funny enough, I've had some patients come back to me for like, you know, okay, we worked on their speech when they were younger. We got them where they needed to be based on their age. And now they're back because they don't have their R's or they're back because, you know, the list persists or whatever. And I'm like, I have a new therapy modality. We are going to try this. And I, it's, so it's been really exciting, like having been able to work with some of those patients again and getting that second chance in a sense, mm -hmm. because like you said, we don't know what we don't know. And I didn't even know something called myofunctional therapy existed prior to taking my course. And that was like, I think it was the beginning of 2017 is when I learned about it. Cause I, I signed up for a course for like that fall, got pregnant, moved my course up to June, flew out to Chicago. I was like, we're getting this thing going. <laughs> I need to know what this stuff is. And yeah, it's all history from there. <laughs> but I also have, you know, as a mom of two tied babies, my first one, as you guys have all heard on the podcast was horrendous experience. You guys, if you're new to this pod, go back and listen to the first episode. Um, <laughs> But my second one, when she latched, I was like, I am not looking for 24 hours. I'm not looking. And she latched and I went, oh, crap. <laughs> I was like, 
no, I don't even have to look. It's there. And I did end up looking like the next day or later that day or something. I'm like, yep, it's there. And it was so fascinating because I don't know how it is where you guys are, but in the US there's gag orders in a lot of places. And so the nurses in the hospitals, even if they have the training are not allowed to go in the baby's mouth or say anything. You're only allowed to work on latching if they're like nurse and, you know, RN, IBCLC. And so while they're fabulous, like their hands are tied. The craziest part was when I said, oh, my baby has a tongue tie and a lip tie and I'm, I'm qualified to diagnose this. They went, oh yeah, yeah, I see that too. Like they were able to agree with me. And then my pediatrician came by the next day, like on day two to check the baby and everything and agreed with me. And then what do you know, because a pediatrician from the outside said it was there and could officially diagnose outside of like the mother, which I get. They were like, do you want our hospital um, surgeon to take care of that for you? And I was like, do not touch my baby. <laughs> I was like, step 10 feet away from my child. She's not leaving my room. <laughs> I was like, no, absolutely not. We're going straight to my, I, I texted my oral surgeon and I was like, James, <laughs> we're coming. When do we come? And so like on day five, she ended up having her, her tots released and we did body work and everything after that. And totally different experience. Like, holy moly totally different breastfeeding experience. And I'm like, wow, we suffered for 13 months and didn't have to with my first one. And she still has like ongoing issues at the age of five now. And that's what kills me is like, I wish I knew then what I know now. Well, and that's the benefit. That's also the benefit of finding this all out with your first child. Whereas Lindsay and I are realizing that our other two children, at least one of them are showing signs that, oh, they're tongue tied too. And that's why we had issues, but they're like seven years old now. Right. And yeah, so we're dealing with that aftermath. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really nice when it, you can find these things out with your first child versus second, third. Yeah. Well, and, and my hope is that just with so many resources out there that it at least gets the conversation started and that mm-hmm. hopefully we can connect um, families with the right providers, you know, like I always welcome families to message me because I feel like I'm in so many groups and while it is, it's time consuming, it's a passion project of mine. Like I don't get paid to connect, you know, a provider with a family or vice versa, but if I can get you there and like, it gives me chills. Like if I can get you to the right person and get your child and you can get your child help, like I can mm-hmm. make that, that connection. Like for me, that's worth everything. Like I just, I live for that stuff. So anywho, enough about me. So you guys created a committee, right? The Winnipeg Tongue Tie Committee. Can you tell me about that? What is this? We did. So that was part of um, my endeavor of bringing people together in Winnipeg after uh, going down to the States for my training. And so I started to notice that there were certain people on Facebook, that's where this all started, that tended to speak up a bit more. Um, And over, and maybe Lindsay can correct me a bit, but over the course of probably a few months, I started talking to specific people, Lindsay included, and saying, hey, do you want to like make a group and get together and talk about tongue ties and see how we can uh, get communication better between professionals and you know I said maybe ask this person and if you know someone join our group and we ended up having creating a group of I think seven or eight individuals um, and our and we met 
at our chiropractor, the one that I took my, my little guy to, um, she was actually one of the key members of our group and she let us meet in her space. So we would go there once a month and started brainstorming. And so we had a chiropractor on our team, SLP, Lindsay, and then myself and RN IBCLC. And then we also have, have a Laleshi league leader, IBCLC. She's really strong in the Laleshi league leader world. And then another private practice, IBCLC, a sleep consultant is on our team because she sees the value of of working with tongue ties. Um, and then we have a mom who is really passionate, dealt with this with her kids and also is a baby wearing consultant and car seat tech, um, but has a passion for tongue ties. So that was our group that we created. And um, we decided, hey, how are we going to um, bring people together to learn more about tongue ties? Because this is a huge deficit in our in our, not only our city, but in our province, um, and even this part of Canada. And we decided, whoa, what if we made a conference? What if we hosted a conference right here in our own city? And we invited someone who was an expert, maybe a dentist or something to come out to Manitoba and speak. And then, um, so we decided, yep, that's what we're going to do. And we did that with starting zero dollars. We had nothing. And we created. (laughs) It was amazing. Yes. I don't even know if we had any sponsors or anything. We just had faith. And we asked a well-known dentist out in Vancouver, Dr. Jimmy Chan. Um, Have you heard of him before, Hallie? I don't know if I have. I'm writing his name down. Yes, Dr. Jimmy Chan, and he's based in Vancouver, um, and he specializes in tongue ties with infants. He works with IBCLCs, um, and we had him come out, and he spoke for the day. We also had a panel of myself, an SLP, and Cairo, yeah, me, Lindsay, and then our, our Cairo friend, And then we had Dr. Jimmy Chan as well. Um, And we were able to give our own views and professional um, viewpoint on tongue ties and and focus on release, um, pre and post care, uh, body work, all of the pillars that we that we were able to do and so that was the the birth of our committee and then creating a Winnipeg tongue tie conference that's awesome I love it you guys are so entrepreneurial both of you (laughs) I mean I already knew that because you have your own businesses but I mean it's it's an undertaking no matter what size a conference is and I say that because I worked for an event planner a lot of people don't know this about me um growing up like from like middle school through grad school and she was like a good family friend and I was running events and sometimes and there was a team of us it wasn't just usually me but there was a team of us and like it there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in any type of an event. Like, and these were usually like weddings or bar and bat mitzvahs, but it could have upwards of like a couple hundred people to 500 people. I mean, as the numbers increase, there's always more issues, right? So it's like, it doesn't matter if it's a 20 person event or a 500 person event, there's still a lot of the same things that have to be put in place. And that's, 
that is no small undertaking. So you guys are amazing <laughs> that you pulled that off. Um, yeah. who, was in, who was invited to attend? Was it, were parents invited like general community or was it more for practitioners? We invited parents, um, but mostly we were, we were targeting the uh, medical um, community. So we wanted pediatricians to come. I don't, Lindsay, I don't think we had any, did we? I think we had one and he was kind of in and out. <laughs> he, no, he was a birth, um, a GP who, obstetrician. Um, yes. Okay. Yes. And he had to attend a birth halfway through our conference. (laughs) So he left. Um, we had dentists, chiropractors, some, uh, speech language pathologists, lots of public health nurses. So up here in Canada, we have public health nurses who see parents, um, shortly after they come home. Um, and so we were really trying to get them out because they're one of the frontline workers, uh, anyone else, Lindsay? That you can uh, we of? had some doulas there, I believe. Um, Midwives. I yeah. Osteopath. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we really tried to to get, uh, you know, a, a variety of yeah. uh, workers. And then, you know, we went on to um, want to make another one. So, but unfortunately, the pandemic hit. And we thought, oh no, what are we going to do? We decided, okay, we're going to uh, bring this online. And um, we made it virtual and as affordable affordable as we could as well. And we asked, um, oh goodness, I'm going to get her name wrong. Kathy Watson, Jenna. Or- yeah, that's right. right. You got it. <laughs> you got it. Yes. I always get her na- two names mixed up. Um and we had her come and speak and we split it up into two days. Um, and it was a super unique, awesome experience. Lindsay, did you have anything to add to that conference that we did? Uh, no, just that it was like a, such a turn of the tables. And it felt like since everyone was going online, we were just jumping on that bandwagon. And it actually was, it was very, very successful. Um, thanks to our little group. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, so much has gone virtual in the past year that it's so funny because there are people who are just like itching to be back in person. They're like, we are so done. And there's other people who are like, I will never go back in person, Zoom for life. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting to see like these two mix of crowds. I almost feel like going forward, like conferences might want to have like that in-person aspect with the Zoom option as well. So yes. like, like you can get, get to everybody, you know? Oh, it's so cool. Um, so is there anything, I guess, like in creating this community of like-minded professionals, like, are there any tips for anybody who's out there who's like looking to do something? Like maybe they're not looking to do it on the scale of creating like conferences, but maybe they want to network with people in their groups. Like, do you guys have like a tip or anything about like how to find these people or what you would say, you know, to somebody if you're trying to get them to communicate with you on tongue tie and, and the like? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I do is I, I really pay attention out there, just kind of listening, keeping an ear out, you know, um, Lindsay and I talk a lot about providers who we find out about. And so then we kind of reach out to them. And uh, I like to do this a lot, reach out to providers and offer, Hey, you want to meet for a virtual coffee? I used to take people out for coffee just in person before the pandemic. And um, it's a, such an effective way to get to know someone on a more personal level and see if they align with 
with our beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a mini interview, but like in a very relaxed state. Totally. <laughs> what do you believe? Could we work together? <laughs> it's true. Lynette is like an expert coffee dater. Um, that's her play. I am not so much. I try. I really have tried to do that. I just find like, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit on, I don't know, a little awkward or something in, so in real life. Okay. We've got, um, we've got more of like the extrovert and more of the introvert. You guys are yeah. like being here. It's great. <laughs> and that's why like we, like I say, we complement each other very well. Um, but I am more like the social media stalker, but not like in a weird way. <laughs> so I find I use social media to my advantage because I am not a huge extrovert, but if I can send somebody a message, um, or even just sharing information, um, on, on social media, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it happens to be, that's sort of where my, my contacts come from. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's, I love these conversations because there isn't a right or wrong way to go about it, you know, and I get asked so often, and I think it's, it's very intimidating, even for extroverts, it can be very intimidating to, you know, approach somebody who you see as like, okay, this is, they're not my profession. They're a different profession. Like, you know, and so I always just tell people like, get out of your head. Like the worst thing they can say is no, I don't want to talk to you. And like, that might hurt your ego a little bit, but you'll recover. I promise. (laughs) I mean, it's really just, and it's scary. And I'm, it's funny because I'm like a mix. I'm a mixed introvert, extrovert. Like you put me in a room with people and I can talk to anybody and I could talk all day. I get nervous going up on a stage, but on a zoom, I'm good. Like I I presented this morning and I was like, I'm fine. If I was sitting in a room with all those people, I would have felt totally different. So it's like also like how, like what the actual environment is around me. But like, I will tell you after like at a conference, I lose my voice. Like I can talk all night and then I lose my voice because like, I don't shut up. And then I'm like, I need three days to hibernate. Like I just, the introverted side of me comes out and is like, okay, nobody talk to me or touch me or come near me for three days. (laughs) So I don't know. I used to think there was such as like, line between like introverts and extroverts and then I was like and someone said no you're like you're both and I was like well that makes a lot of sense actually so (laughs) so now I try to look at things too from like when I'm teaching I try to look at things from like two perspectives I'm like what would the introvert in me feel most comfortable with okay now what would the extrovert in me (laughs) feel most comfortable with and there's so many different ways you can go about this and I think it's really cool like I love the virtual coffee date thing um, I think that's a great, a great way to like continue that, that kind of a approach without letting COVID stand in the way. So I love that Lynette. Um, and yeah, you'll find me as of late, like just going into people's DMS and saying, Hey, I'm Hallie. This is what I do. Like come hang. Um, not in like a spammy way, but in a way of like, I want to build community. I want to connect like, and I know so many people told me they didn't even know these things were available or out there. So it's really with the intention of, I don't care if you buy anything from me. Like I'm not trying to sell you on it and anything. I just want you to be able to connect with a community that you feel like you want to be part of that will benefit you as a clinician. And, you know, so, so yeah, that's why I'm like so excited about what you guys are doing. Well, and it's so, it's, it's really interesting that, um, I've been on Facebook forever, right? We're, we're the Facebook generation. Um, and, but it wasn't until I started going on Instagram, about a year ago that my business has really boomed and communication with, with parents has really boomed. Um, it, it seems to be the new social media platform where people are flocking to. Mm -hmm. Um, so if someone was like wondering, where should I go, go on to Instagram and start posting, start getting yourself out there. 
That's a great tip. And, you know, and you guys, why don't you both share your handles too, so they know where to find you on Instagram. Sure. I'm at, at Lynette Beard Breastfeeding. And I'm at Spot Speech. And I'm like, I know I see all your stuff all the time. And you, and for those listening, both you, you both post, you know, educational, awesome types of content um, frequently. So both really great accounts to follow, to learn more about all of these things that we're talking about. And you know, tots and Mayo and breastfeeding and all that, all that fun stuff. Um, are there any other things that you want to discuss or share with us just regarding, you know, interpersonal or interprofessional, sorry, collaboration, just things beyond what you've been able to create or other things that have come out of these relationships you've built in your community? Uh, for me, I feel like a lot of my success with reaching other professionals has been through report writing. Mm-hmm. So when I write my reports, I make sure that they're sent to up here. We um, work through ENT a lot, especially if people don't have insurance coverage um, for dental providers um, or Again, if they're um, working with a dentist, then I would make sure that my report gets to the dentist or and or other professionals. And I feel like that as a, a tool for education has been really, really um, to, to my advantage. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually did a little business training in our membership on like using your Mayo evaluation as a marketing tool because there is, you need to, it's your it. It's your in. If you have a shared case, that's an automatic in to talk to a professional. So if you're not using that, you're putting yourself at a major disadvantage because, you know, look, not every professional is going to want to get on the phone with you. That's the reality. But we want to work with the ones who do want to collaborate. And what better way to figure that out by forwarding a report, getting permission from the patient to do that, first of all, and then also speak to that, that receiving um, provider. And yeah, you learn very quickly who the providers are in your area that want to collaborate and that um, enjoy sharing cases. And I mean, it makes what we do fun when you can have these conversations and geek out together, even if it's just for like a quick two minute phone call. (laughs) Absolutely. And I don't feel like I've made any like massive, massive inroads with many of the medical providers, but again, at least I'm getting out there. And one of the major um, pediatric ENTs in our city by report, by parent report, knew me by name. I was like, what? That's fun. That's, that's huge. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's amazing. I mean, that really is, you know, whether it's because you've sent a number of reports now and they are constantly seeing the reports come through, like you've now become that person, that professional, right? But if that parent went to the appointment and the report, the report had not been sent before they went, they would have no clue who the person is working with them. They would have, your name would have never come up on the radar. So, I mean, it just speaks volumes to the power of sharing the report that you're already writing with the receiving providers, whether they read it or not, it's a great marketing tool. (laughs) hundred percent agree. (laughs) Yes. And I do that too, as an IBCLC. And I, I know a lot of IBCLCs do and some don't. So I definitely encourage private practice. We, we don't tend to have as many um, regulations held over us, but I think that's one that we should practice um, regularly is sending reports. And I think also um, trying to find someone to work with in collaboration. So if you're an IBCLC, find an SLP who you can work with. So the the reason why um, Lindsay and I really are so excited to work together is because we fill in gaps for each other. So when we work together on a client or refer each other clients, 
um, you know, I, I take the, the zero to 12 months and uh, even 12 months to two years old, I tend to take those and then Lindsay will take a little bit older or if there's a speech issue, you know, I have uh, an SLP in my back pocket that I can refer um, my clients to, or oftentimes my clients have older siblings who they're, they've got issues. So I'm like, Hey, I've got a, I've got an SLP right here for you. Um, so just finding another IBCLCs, find an SLP. SLPs, find an IBCLC so that you can fit both, uh, reach more clients that way. More yeah, 100%. You know, I think that that's a great tip and a great reminder because I think, you know, like, sure, like an SLP can go become an IBCLC. I'm not going to tell you, like, or I'm going to tell you, I have no interest in doing that. Like I work with infants, but I don't want to be the IBCLC. Like we have fabulous IBCLCs in our area. I'd rather refer to them and work collaboratively because I think they have far much more knowledge in that space. That is their expertise. And even if I go on to get it, like, you know, it's just not my, it's not my goal, right? My goal is more the TOTS related stuff with Mayo and I'm staying in my lane. Now I'm not saying don't get it if you, if that's what you want, but I think that there is a beautiful relationship, friendship, you know, be it professional um, and, and or personal, like you guys have developed this beautiful friendship where that collaboration piece is so powerful because having the eyes, you know, like we talked about, like having two sets of eyes versus one, you know, even if you do have the credentials is still so much more powerful. And, um, and I love that. And I think it's a very prevalent issue where the professionals, and it goes both directions, IBCLC is not referring to SLP, SLP not referring to IBCLC. And I don't know why there is such a hangup over this, <laughs> at least in my area, but it's, you know, I get these babies sometimes and I'm like, why weren't they referred earlier? Like now we have so much more work to do and there's so much further down the hole, like, <laughs> like they'll be fine, but this is going to take a while, you know? And I think we can really do best by our patients and those mamas, especially with the youngest or littlest ones, the earlier that we get in there and we collaborate. So, um, so thank you for that. That's, that's such a great point. Um, now, do you guys, as far as your collaboration now, what age groups are you collaborating on? Like, what does that specifically look like for you guys? Lindsay, I'll let you go. Sure. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there is the, the belief that traditional Mayo, and I, I do agree, um, starts at sort of that age four and up, um, you know, when they're able to understand a little bit more and follow directions and all that. Um, but there's that age group in between. So between 12 months, generally when parents go back to work and they're weaning their, um, infants, I mean, some do breastfeed much longer, but That's there's that 12. Canada. Yes. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> yes. We get mat leave for a year up here. That's amazing. It's, uh, it really is actually three months or even less here. And it's just awful for mom. I can't imagine going back to work with a three month old at home. I actually it's basically like in your fourth trimester, it's like, as if you haven't even had time to come out of your pregnancy. And now they're like, please go back to work full time with a baby or trying to breastfeed and also pay time to a full-time job. Yeah. Okay. Pay attention. Yeah. No. It's cool. <laughs> But it is cruel. That is, uh, and I, like I said, I, I absolutely cannot imagine. Um, but up here we get till 12 months, which is uh, amazing for our mamas. But um, so that 12 month to two, three-year-old age group, which is really, really difficult to assess and treat. And I mean, we have our, we have our tricks up our sleeve, right. As early intervention professionals. Um, but as far as um, 
feeding a tongue tie goes, it's really difficult to get in their little mouths. So that's where, um, depending on the case and depending on time and availability, like sometimes I'll refer those kiddos um, just directly to Lynette and she'll handle assessment and give parent recommendations and, you know, do the tongue tie bit. Um, or sometimes we will collaborate and do like a joint assessment and evaluation, um, which kind of like exactly like you've alluded to gives that two sets of eyes, two different lenses. Um, and then we complement each other in terms of our recommendations. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so important to collaborate. And I think there's, there's this whole discussion right now. And I was actually even asked recently to like write an article on it for um, like a, a Mayo newsletter thingy. Um, that's like more like an internal thing for the woman who I took my course with. And, you know, and it was like that whole discussion about like Mayo, what age does it start? Who should be doing it? This, that, and the other. And I think what it comes down to, at least for me, is like you said, like traditional myofunctional therapy is for that cognitive, like four-year-old, like they're at that cognitive level of a four-year-old and, you know, and that's traditional Mayo. But, and as you know, in my Feed the Peds course, like we have to be getting in there. Like these OMDs, these tongue ties are present at birth. We can't say, oh, just wait four years. Oh, wait, wait two years, wait a year until they're this age and then we'll deal with it. I mean, if there's a reason to do that because there's other medical things that need to be dealt with first or there's other things that it's a legitimate reason, it's not just an age thing, like, okay, fine. But that's rarely the case, right? Because even some of our mostly most complex cases with TOTS still need to be addressed and they should be addressed early on unless there's some you know, medical situation at play that we're, you know, concerned about getting in there and doing the procedure, which again is very infrequent. So, you know, this is where I was like, okay, I do this work. It's not easy. It's you're right. Like it is not easy to get in a toddler's mouth to like, no, they are not. It's much easier when they're under six months of age than like the, you know, six to 12 months, it's still doable, but now they're like usually mobile and it gets a little bit more challenging. And then toddlers are like, I'm going to bite you. So that's where, you know, that's where like with feed the peas, I was like, okay, we got to figure out like it's feeding, right? Like we're dealing with feeding under the age of four. And so now I call it feeding with a twist of Mayo. And I love like, I'm like, we're still looking at the overarching goals of Mayo. We're still looking at whether or not they're tethered old tissues. We're still looking at their airway, but it's done in a different way or it's done in a combination of passive and active exercises and it's more play-based and it just, it looks different, right? And so I'm like, this is the discussion I feel like we need to be having because these issues are there and we can't ignore them and pretend like they popped up when they turned four and now they're appropriate for a traditional Mayo program. But also we need to make sure that the people who are truly working with the kiddos like understand development because, and this is what I wrote in the article. I was talking about how our little ones are developing their sensory oral motor skills until 36 months of age in a typical traditional case. Now, even typical children don't fall on that perfect timeline and they could be developing those skills like well into their third year. So it makes sense that we might wait if you're a certain provider who maybe doesn't have feeding, oral sensory motor, you know, breastfeeding, any of those kind of skill sets that maybe you do wait until they're, you, or you work with the four plus crowd. But for under four, yeah, like we still need to figure out how to, how to address this. And and that's why I also asked my provider to suture that tongue in a toddler because it's really hard to do active wound care. So thankfully my oral surgeon is like, do you want me to suture this case? I'm like, if mom will let you go right ahead. Cause I am concerned about, and that's, that's also a major consideration. We don't want to put it off and not 
do a procedure, not that I have the decision in this, you know, that's out of scope, but you know, we don't want to delay a procedure or a, a consult just because of compliance with mm-hmm. the kid, you know, maybe the kid is really good at do it doing play-based therapy stuff, we're really worried about mom being able to get in there and like actively lift that tongue to keep the wound healing properly. And that's when we go, okay, this is a great case to proceed with and let's suture them on up. Again, not my decision, but my providers always ask me. So we have a conversation about it. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's, it's collaboration beyond even just those of us who are doing more of the behavioral type therapy into those of us who are not those of us, but you know, the providers who are doing the, the procedures and, um, it's been really, again, like I'm so blessed to have like such an amazing team and to be able to have these open conversations where I can be like, yes, please, yes, please do that. (laughs) You guys have someone up where you are who will do sutures and toddlers or what does that look like? You go on that. Do you think he does? We have a specific dentist that we, that we refer mostly to. And, you know, I think, I, I don't know, I'm going to have to talk to him about that. I don't think I've ever seen him do sutures. Um, but most definitely, um, we do also have a pediat- pediatric surgeon who does uh, release releases for toddlers and um, she would do sutures. I know that. So yes, we definitely have that option. Yeah. Um, It's nice to have the option. We've had families who are like, absolutely not. And we're like, okay, good luck. (laughs) Wish wish you all the best. Like, you know, we, we show them how to do everything. and And some of them are great. They really are. Some of them really can carry it out. No problem. And then other times they call and they're like, we really wish we had this sutured and he won't let me in his mouth. I'm really worried he's going to reattach. And it can just be so stressful in those days afterwards when things are healing quickly Mm -hmm. and we're like, let's just remove that level of stress if we can. So yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. So is there anything else that we haven't chatted about that you want to share um, either about like what you guys have created up there or just, you know, I know we talked a lot about interprofessional collaboration. I don't think so. I feel like we've covered it all. Hey, Lynette. Yeah. I know that it's a dream of mine to go up, go down to um, North South Carolina, North Carolina, where Autumn Reed Henning is and take her plot the tots. Um, oh, and I want to take our team, which um, Lindsay and I are slowly building. I know that I would have a couple of, there would be at least four of us, maybe five that I would love to take us down there. Um, I love that she's doing that course because that would teach us exactly how to work together even more cohesively. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I have not taken it, but I've taken Autumn's, you know, TOTS course in general. And I know she's a fabulous teacher. And so she, for anybody who's listening, that's not familiar. Um, we did an episode on it where I actually had, uh, Autumn and, um, and Bynum, who is the dentist that she works with. that's teaching plot the Tot with her. They were on the podcast. You can definitely go back and listen to that episode, but they've now, I think that was prior to the launch that they came on and now they've they've held a number of them with great feedback they're able to do it in a very covid safe way and um they're in person and people are i think coming away with some really great stuff from that course so yeah yeah and it's a really great way to learn how to collaborate yes yeah yeah i mean i think what's the beauty and like 
being able to take what someone else has done and then kind of like recreate it for you versus like starting over and reinventing the wheel completely, you know? So, I mean, they've got, they've got a good thing going down there. And I know she's, uh, she's very fortunate and she tells a story and it's really her story to tell. So I won't go too far into it, but she tells a story about how, when she approached Anne initially, Anne was like, Nope, Nope, Nope. Like I'm not doing these tots releases. Like I'm not like, that's not happening. And then, you know, autumn was that squeaky wheel and finally got her to agree. And now like, look what they've created. So I always like to be like, if you look at autumn and Anne, it's possible. You just have to be persistent. If you think someone is a really good person for this and they just don't know it yet, you know, <laughs> keep asking, you never know what'll come of it. Well, this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you both so much, Lynette and Lindsay, for joining me today. I really enjoyed chatting and talking like all things, you know, tots and community and collaboration. This, this is a great topic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Hallie. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 